This week, as you know, several of our liturgies will include extended homilies, which, which concentrate on the mysteries celebrated in the context of our canonical Norbertine life. Father Abbott mentioned to me earlier this week that today's homily should be approached in the same manner as well. And when I read the gospel, realizing what day it was, I wondered how I should approach this task. Today is popularly referred to as Spy Wednesday, the day Judas sets out to find that right moment to betray Jesus to the chief priests. Father Norbert recently reminded me of a letter of St. Augustine who explains the reason we fast on Wednesdays through the year, which is because of today. Augustine writes that in the gospel, we find that on Wednesday, the Jews took counsel to put the Lord to death. Judas was watching our Lord closely today. While living with our eyes fixed upon God and attentively opening our ears to his every word is a very good thing, Judas is fixing his attention upon Jesus to discover the perfect opportunity to betray him. For the past three days, the Gospels have made it undeniably clear that before the Triduum begins, we all have to come face to face with the treachery of Judas. This Gospel passage should strike a particularly somber chord for those who profess or are preparing to profess the canonical way of life as we do here. We, like the apostles, surround Jesus closely, following after him every day. Anselm of Havelberg wrote that the canons are, in truth, the direct successors of the apostles, since they fulfilled the demands of the apostolic life, which long ago were lost in a time of persecution and apostasy. So when we read about the apostles in the scriptures, and when something goes so awry as it did today, it grabs our attention in particular. It's hard to understand the depths of Judas's motivations, what made him become such a traitor, such a spy, managing to deceive the brethren like he did. But Jesus himself said, nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be made known. In fact, Judas's clandestine activity, his whereabouts, his motivations, his espionage, are now immortalized in the sacred scriptures and declared in the church year after year. Now, in a way, we have become the spies of the spy, following his underhanded movements, hearing his misleading words, witnessing how he deceives so many, but we see something deeper how his spying is so successful that he deceives even himself. Much more is happening at this Passover table than the other apostles fully realize. Two present will soon die, both suspended in the air, one on a cross of hope, the other from a noose of despair. The one betrayed knows this, the betrayer does not. Judas could never have wanted or ever anticipated his own horrific death coming his way, 
when he began his apostolic life. Being an apostle of Jesus was a most privileged experience. Judas was favored to hear firsthand the consoling words of the Savior, as well as his fiery admonitions. He witnessed astonishing miracles, healings, exorcisms, and at the outset of his apostleship, he was given the power to cast out demons, freeing people from evil. The beauty of his life spent with Christ must have been profound. But there's also no doubt that being an apostle and living so close to the Lord would come with its challenges. Jesus rebukes the apostles for their faults, frequently, publicly, and with that excruciating accuracy which only comes from divine insight. Judas himself was no stranger to this. On Monday, we heard Judas criticize Mary's lavish anointing of Jesus with costly oil. He saw this as so excessive that he openly condemns her action, blurting out, why this waste? And then sincerely arguing that the oil could have been sold and the proceeds given to the poor. But our Lord rebukes Judas, saying, leave her alone. She has done a beautiful thing to me. And to further guarantee that Judas understands just how unmistakably pleased Christ is with Mary's shocking generosity, just how deeply the Lord disagrees with Judas's criticism, Christ immortalizes her good deed, saying, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. For Judas, this has an alternate meaning as if to say, wherever this gospel is preached, your greed, Judas, your counterfeit criticism will be told in memory of you. For it wasn't Mary's lavish anointing of the Lord that was so foolish, but Judas's stinginess that proves to be so. This particular moment of personal correction and simultaneous public praise with Mary's good deed appears to be a breaking point for Judas. When Jesus corrects other apostles, they may not understand at first, but they continue following him. But immediately after this scene, very starkly and with no segue, the gospel records then Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests in order to betray him. The Lord had struck a chord. He had touched on a wound that Judas had not handed over for healing. Judas's avarice, his consuming love for and reliance on money, indeed had been surfacing for some time now, and was now threatening to supplant his love for the Messiah in his heart altogether. And yet the Messiah knew that and was willing to call him out, was willing to go there, to that place of struggle for Judas. It could have been a turning point for him, but it wasn't. His avarice won the day, and soon we hear him saying to the chief priests, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? Perhaps for him, Jesus had been going too deep over the years, striking too close to home. How much deeper was he going to go? But Jesus came to get to the heart of his followers, because that is where sin is rooted and needs to be healed. The Savior himself said, from the heart of man comes evil thoughts, fornication, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, 
licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And that is how deep Jesus is willing to go, to heal those wounds in the heart which only he can remedy, thus revealing the true beauty of the human heart out of which will flow not sin, finally, but streams of living water, springs welling up to eternal life. That is what Jesus wanted for the heart of Judas, to forgive his sins and enter his heart, even becoming his bread of life so he can truly bridge that distance. Unfortunately, Judas opens his heart to communion with a different kind of guest, namely Satan himself. Judas, who upon his very call to apostleship was given authority over un spirits to cast them out has now invited them in. Satan had earlier tried to defeat Jesus by tempting him in the desert and when that failed miserably Satan departs as the gospel records until an opportune time. There is a haunting similarity with those words which started Lent and the words we hear about Judas today who was looking for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. In Judas, Satan found his opportune time, and in Satan, Judas found his opportunity, and so Satan entered into Judas, who was of the number of the twelve. The traitor had been commissioned to bring people to Jesus, and in the end, he does just that. But in a dark reversal, he brings a band of soldiers who will arrest Jesus, Leading him, leading him to condemnation, to torture and death. The spying is now over. The bounty is paid. Mission complete. Now Judas can go away with his money. But before the gospel records the death of Jesus, we discover from the gospel that Judas himself is dead. For in the end, Judas had spied one more thing which he would rather not have seen— When Judas saw that Jesus was condemned, he repented and brought back the 30 pieces of silver, saying, I have sinned in betraying innocent blood. The eyes of this blind spy were now really open to Jesus, and he could no longer deceive himself. The weight of his guilt was too heavy for him to bear, and now wherever this gospel is preached, what he has done will be told in memory of him. St. John Cashin wrote that Judas did not wish to crush the serpent's deadly head of avarice, how it destroyed him and brought him to a speedy end by persuading him to sell the world's redeemer and author of salvation for 30 pieces of silver. The church has brought this grim situation to our attention these days before the Triduum begins, asking us to consider the betrayal of the one who had lived the apostolic life. Throughout history, Jesus has continued to call many people to this intimate way of life with the Lord. Our order has made it possible for many to accept that invitation. St. Michael's has made it possible for us here Many of you, having lived this life far longer than me, understand these things far better than me. But from what I can tell, just as it was both beautiful and challenging to live the life of the apostles, so it is for us here. When coming to the religious life, 
we don't always see just how deeply the Lord wants to go within us. There are hidden remnants of sin left in our hearts which only the Lord can spy out and heal. Sin which blocks those streams of living water from welling up and which threaten to make of us traitors too. So we freely bring our wounded hearts to the Lord here in the sanctuary, standing before him front and center and saying with the psalmist, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We betake ourselves to the divine sculptor as though positioning the tip of his chisel ourselves directly before our hardened hearts and holding it there saying hammer away reshape or remove or whatever it's yours oftentimes our brothers like to help with that hammering process but we submit our hearts knowing full well that he wounds but he binds up he strikes but his hands heal will we stand with him when we feel he's struck too deep Or will we try to be rid of him like Judas when he becomes inconvenient or puts us in situations or assignments where our faults surface too, just like it did for Judas? Perhaps that's the Lord's plan for us, so that we can better see where we need conversion and receive the Lord's healing blows. Far better to endure those than to endure the hammer and chisel of the evil one who wounds but does not bind up, who strikes but does not bring healing, and whose hammer blow may be unfelt until the final blow, when we hear said of us, it would have been better that he had never been born. If this truly is the apostolic way of life, and it is, we'll also be faced with invitations to betrayal. There are confers in our history who have accepted those invitations. The martyrs of Novaris in the Czech Republic were all betrayed by a confrere. Having rejected their corrections, he turned them over to the Gestapo, who who beat them, mistreated them, and ultimately sent them to Auschwitz, where they would die miserable deaths. Pope Benedict XVI said in an audience once, that while there is no lack of unworthy and traitorous Christians in the church, it is up to each of us to counterbalance the evil done by them with our clear witness to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The fact of the matter is that the devil is still prowling about looking for the opportune time to enter our lives and turn us away from Jesus too. He sees that we're giving our everything to God, pouring out our lives upon him as Mary poured out her costly oil on the Lord. What a waste, the evil one will cry out to us. But we must hear Jesus saying to us, they have done a beautiful thing to me, and what they have done will be told in memory of them. Reading our hagiologian daily is a great blessing as we hear how our confers past poured out their oil, lavished their lives upon the Lord. We here at St. Michael's need not fear the fate of Judas, for we have all the help we need by being faithful to our holy way of life in the rule of St. Augustine, praising God in the sacred liturgy, loving our brethren, and especially in our devotion to the queen of our order. 
She watched over the Lord. She was the privileged witness of the hidden years of Nazareth, and what she saw, she saw not as a spy who secretly observes behavior, but as a mother who notices everything out of love. And what she witnessed, she kept in her heart. She will never cease to be the mother of Jesus, noticing everything about him, interested in all he's doing, which means she's interested in what he's doing in us. And when she sees him in us, she's bound to take notice and come to our aid, thus taking the experiences of Christ working in our life into her heart, where she ponders them with the mysteries of her son. So as Holy Week commences, and as our religious lives move forward, let us live with our eyes open, fixed on the Lord, and our ears attentive to every word we'll hear him say to us. And from this moment onward, this Spy Wednesday onward, let us look for every opportunity to do what this religious life is all about, not handing over Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, but giving away all the silver we have and handing ourselves over to him.